0: Well, this morning we want to talk about controlling your tongue. Controlling your tongue. Listen to Proverbs 1821. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Another paraphrase, I wouldn't say translation, but a paraphrase of that of that verse goes like this words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. How are you going to use your words? When Alexander Strock was uh, uh, in a church history class at one point, the teacher was speaking about Constantine, the first emperor of Rome, who embraced Christianity. He converted to Christianity. And he embraced that, and he legalized Christianity. And the professor was teaching about church history, and he asserted that Constantine was merely using Christianity for his political purposes. was not truly converted or or born again, was not a a true believer. And one of the students kind of protested that. And and he, he argued in front of the whole class that Constantine was... a a genuine born-again believer and was very instrumental in in church history and forming the church and forming doctrine. And the teacher and the student just kept going back and forth and tensions kept rising and the heat kept flowing in, in that little room to the point where the class had to be dismissed. It couldn't even continue. And then the teacher and the student Parted ways. They had, you know, almost like they had, they they had to separate themselves. They're going to get into their verbal argument was going to turn into a physical argument. Well, fast forward a week and the class resumes, and the teacher again picks up his point at where he left off and was saying that Constantine was not a true believer, and the student said, "Wait, wait, wait, wait a minute! Did you say Constantine?" And he's like, "Yes, Constantine." He said, oh, I thought you were talking about Augustine. If you're talking about Constantine, did I agree with you? So the whole argument was over nothing. The student wasn't listening good, probably looking at something on his phone or computer. The teacher didn't ask, didn't pause to like, ask for clarification or to ask the student why he believed. What he did, neither one of them were concerned about honoring Christ in their attitudes and their speech in front of everybody else and, and that 's assuming that all those in the in the audience were even Christians or, as students the whole The whole thing could have been avoided if they would have restrained their words, asked more questions, been better listeners, not so quick to speak. Those of us who profess. To be followers of Christ, we must remember that Jesus, Jesus himself war, uh, warns us that, that the words we say reveal the attitudes of our hearts. And he's going to hold us accountable to those words. Listen to Jesus' solemn teaching on this from Matthew 12, verses 34 to 40, 37. I'll read those to you. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Just think about that. By your words you will be justified. By your words you will be condemned. That should be pretty frightening, a, a pretty frightening statement to us if we think about it. It's like we talked about last week. Every one of us here has been sinfully angry. Every one of us in this room has used our words sinfully. Now, I'm not taking anything away from the death of Christ. And, and Jesus knew he was going to die on the cross, and yet he uttered those words. Even when your sinful words are covered by the blood of Christ, it's those words that put Christ on the cross. So it should not be an excuse to say, oh, well, he died for my sins. I can speak any way I want. No. Jesus holds you accountable for your words. We need to control our tongue. It's true, generally speaking, but we're trying to apply this to principles for are handling conflict to the glory of god for the good of our neighbor and for the glory of god and, and we're talking about our speech this morning so in the midst of, of a conflict or just say a disagreement you know, just starts out of a small disagreement like this professor and the student in in the in, in the start of the conflict or disagreement you need to control your tongue so that you glorify god Instead of sitting against him and bless those around you, instead of being a curse to them. Now, the first point I want to cover is, is that to control your tongue, you must see the necessity to control your tongue. S- similar to anger, what we talked about last week. Similar pattern here. Right? To control your tongue, you must see the necessity of it. Right? James one twenty six. You could turn there if you like. We're just gonna we're gonna kind of peruse several passages. Let's just start in in James. James has much to say about the tongue. And one of my regrets is that I don't have more time to to tell you more of what all all that James has to teach us. About the tongue. But I I want to hit the important highlights. James 1 verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This man's religion is worthless. Now, let's just think about what James, we're jumping into the context, so let's just set a little bit of the context. James writes, verse 26, in a a context speaking about the importance of being a doer of the word. Uh, Someone who is a, a hearer of the word of God, but not a doer is a self-deceived person. And verse 26 applies applies that principle to your use to the use of your tongue. So if anyone thinks himself to be religious, who is this? This is just somebody who 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 claims to be a religious person. In our context, we would say they they proclaim to be a follower of Christ. They, they claim to believe that Jesus is the son of God. So that's the condition. They're claiming to be religious. They're claiming to follow Christ. But what's the, the the kind of counterweighting balance to that? They say one thing, but what do we see in their lives? James says, while not bridling his tongue. While not bridling his tongue. So these things are in, in uh, opposition to one another. James is setting them that way. When he's talking about this, the, the, he's, not, he's talking about bridling his tongue. He's talking about the person's present action is course of action what what he's saying now keep in mind most of us don't deal with horses so what is a bridle a bridle is something you put on the head of a horse in order to control it Right. so a horse weighs how much 1200 pounds a good horse 1500 pounds the big ones close to 2000 pounds so how is it that a 200 pound man can control a 2000 pound horse bridle is part of the reason you can do that, right? That that even a 100-pound or 120-pound woman can control a 2,000-pound horse with a bridle. Again, they have to be trained and broken. I understand that. But without that bridle, most horses can't be controlled. James is using that analogy not in a literal sense but in a figurative sense. You have got to put a bridle on your tongue that 2,000-pound tongue of yours, to control it, right? Take it where you want to go. Use his analogy. It sticks in your mind, right? right? So, uh, you know, if you're walking, if you're riding your horse in dangerous territory where, the, where that horse has got to stay on the trail or, it's, or you're going to get into trouble, you've got to be able to control it in the direction that you want it to go or you're going to fall off into trouble. Keep that analogy in in your mind as we we go through this. That's what James is talking about here. So James is saying a man with an unbridled tongue. This isn't just like uh, a failure. The general pattern of your life is good and there's there's a failure. That's not what James is talking about. James is talking about the person who the general pattern of their life is that they have a completely unbridled tongue. Right? You you meet these people. You work with some of them. They might claim to be Catholics. They might claim to be Baptists. They might go to church every Sunday, but their mouths are what continually spewing out filth. Right? Just a continual filth. They curse so much they don't even know they're doing it anymore. And and you cringe every time they do it, but they don't even know they do it anymore. Right? What what does the Bible say about that person? Absolutely, positively, this is what God's judgment says. That person's religion is what? Worthless. It means they're not really a believer. Right? Their tongue reveals their heart. And that's with certainty. Right When we're talking about the pattern. That's what we're talking about. Even with anger, it's the same way. With certainty. That man's religion. That man's claim to follow Christ is, is worthless. Just worthless. And the man is self-deceived, is what James says. The, the man is deceiving his own heart his claim to be a Christian is just completely false. So when you and I were born again by Christ, Christ put a direct connection um, with with a trans into a transformed heart, and all human beings have this direct connection between our hearts and our mouths. And when you were you, when you were unconverted that just, just kind of flowed directly from your heart. Maybe your mother trained you or washed your mouth out with soap. Remember when they did that? And so you restrain your mouth, not necessarily because your heart's converted, but because you just can't get that bitter taste of the soap out of your mouth. I'm not recommending parents do that, by the way. Just that's the way it was done in the past. But when God changes your heart, He begins to work on your speech, right? So sometimes somebody who comes to to faith needs some needs some help in this area to to know how to speak. Cuz like I said, they don't necessarily change overnight. They they begin to pick up on some things. So we're not talking about like an instantaneous change, but if someone claims to know Christ but their life pattern of speech doesn't change at all, right? you have biblical grounds to question their faith. Now, you don't do that in a judgmental way. You do that in a, in a helpful way, in a concerning way, out of love. But, but the Bible says that man's faith is worthless. Just think about some other uh, scriptures on this. Proverbs has much to say about the use of the tongue. Proverbs ten nineteen, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who, he who holds back his lips has insight. You know, holding back. You think of that rain saying, him back. Right? Not letting that horse go the way that it wants to go. and Take off. Proverbs thirteen three: The one who guards his mouth keeps his soul. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. If you just let your tongue go, your life is going to be a ruin. Right? It's what Scripture says. Proverbs fifteen two: The tongue of the wise makes knowledge look good, but the mouth of fools pours forth folly. In the Proverbs, when we talk about fools, we're not just talking about someone who lacks information. In the Proverbs, a fool is an unconverted uh, pagan, really. Even if they're religious, they're unconverted. Proverbs seventeen twenty seven: He who holds back his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of discernment. So if you are a believer in Christ, recognize that you have got to bridle your tongue. You must control it. It's not an option for you just to, just to let it go. That's what our flesh wants. That's what feels so good sometimes. When you're, when you're angry or upset and you just give somebody a good tongue lashing, right? And you feel better afterwards. Well, your flesh feels better. But if you're a true Christian, you're going to feel immediate conviction of sin because the Holy Spirit's going to begin working on you and you're going to just regret everything you just said. You've got to control your tongue. And if you find that you can't control your tongue, I mean, I'm I'm not talking about there's just a general failure here or there, but in general, you cannot control your tongue. Let that be a sign to you that you are not truly in the faith. The the believer um, has a a changing heart. And as believers, when we have these failures or as we're tempted to, to say what we should not say, We need to pray as the psalmist did in Psalm 143, verse 3. He prays, set a guard, O Yahweh, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. You're asking for God's help to restrain that 2,000-pound tongue that just wants to take off sometimes. So that's the first point. To control your tongue, you must see the necessity to control your tongue. Now, to control your tongue, and this goes to the first point, but really I made it into the second point. To control your tongue, you must see how to control your tongue. How do you control your tongue? The key is through Christ. Right? The key is through Christ. Look at James 3 with me, if you will. James 3. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 12, but especially hone in on verses, uh, f- verses 5 to 12. are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce fresh. Now James has a lot to tell us there, and there's a lot of illustrations, but, but here's what we want to, to look at the high level, not digging deep this morning, but but we want to see that Jesus is talking about James is talking about how important it is for us to control our tongues. I would say, I would argue that, that much of James comes from Jesus' own teaching. James here is the Lord's half-brother. Much of his teaching comes from his own brothers, Jesus' teaching. And here, James is, is really expounding upon what Jesus taught. How, how that out of, a, out of the heart that a man speaks, and he's going to be held accountable for every word that he speaks. And so James is, is talking about that. Only a perfect man does not sin with his mouth. Who is that? There's only been one. Christ. So when you think about Christ, we celebrate the baby, but he was more than just a baby. He was the Lord. He was the perfect man. He never sinned with his mouth. Not as a child, not as a teenager, not as an adult, not as a senior. He didn't live that long, but the point is, his mouth was perfect he 's the perfect man, so he 's the perfect one to lead you. you know when you 're struggling with someone, you find somebody that 's that's that 's gained victory over that area or knows how to 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 conquer that area, and you follow that person that 's why it 's important that elders be above reproach you know, we 're not perfect, only Christ is perfect, but you need mentors you need examples to follow and here the the perfect example is. Christ himself he knows how to to flesh out the the all the laws that God has given us and come away without sin and his speech all the rest of us fall into the category of sinners and and if you have have sinned in no other way and and there's no one in here that only has this sin but if in no other way you've sinned in speech against your Lord and, and your God and so James is saying is that it's impossible for the human to tame his own tongue. You need the Lord's help. You need a changed heart to do that. And he uses several analogies to show that. Your tongue, here he's, he, uses, he mixes kind of analogies. He's saying your tongue is actually like um, the bridle that, that controls the whole, like the bridle controls the direction of the horse. Your tongue controls the direction of your life. And he even uses the, another example of a, of a ship and, and a, a rudder on a ship. You have this big, massive ship, right? I don't know how many tons that they weigh now. But if you compare the size of the ship with the size of the rudder, the rudder is still what? Relatively small. But yet it, it determines the whole course of the direction of that huge, massive ship. Right? So the tongue is fed by the heart, but the tongue sets the direction of our lives, Right? Whether it's a, um, an angry word spoken, dividing close friends, right? that's what he's talking about. Or whether it's a bitter word from a husband and a wife, right? causing conflict that might last for years if it's left unresolved, that's what he's talking about. Your tongue, your boastful tongue, your proud tongue you to—it causes, it causes a direction for your life. And if we don't restrain it, it's going to lead us straight to hell. So the, the point here I'm trying to make is, is that we need the Lord's to change our heart. If you are not in Christ today, right, call upon him. Right? He has issued you an offer of salvation. He's offering you complete remission of sins. If you will but just turn to him and ask him to forgive your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and and to make To make you his child, he does that all by faith through Jesus Christ. Sends his Holy Spirit to live within you, gives you a new heart, a transformed heart that is able to obey him. So, for our mouths to produce fresh water, they have to have a fresh heart. So, if we have salt water spewing out, salt water speech spewing out of our mouth, it's because there's salt water bitter salt water in our heart you know if you've been at the beach and been swimming and a big wave comes up and you accidentally swallow a little bit of that salt water it's not very pleasant and you swallow too much of it you will make you sick that kind of imagery is what should settle in as as um, unconverted unredeemed speech that's what it does it's very caustic Um, I, i mentioned to you psalm 141 before but but let me just read a bit more of that context uh, to help you see the psalmist's heart. He says. "O Yahweh. Right? I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. May my prayer be established as incense before you. The lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. Set a guard. O Yahweh. Over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. To practice deeds of wickedness. With men who are workers of iniquity. And do not let me eat of their delicacies. He's praying for the Lord to change his heart. That he would not want to do what is wicked. And also speak what is is wicked. He's asking for the Lord's help. To control uh, his mouth. To control the tongue. So if you are here and unconverted. Turn to the Lord. Confess your sins to him. Trust in Christ. And my words are keep doing that. Until you're confident he's answered you. And you will know that not a mystery. When God converts the heart, you will know that and do that today because because Satan is at work even amongst here. He's at work when the gospel goes out. He's at work like just taking the seed away or causing you to think about distractions that that you procrastinate. Spurgeon said tomorrow is the devil's day. Do the work that God wants you to do and do it today. Repent today. Today is the day of salvation can't promise you tomorrow. Let's move on. To control your tongue, you, you must be born again and seek that help from Christ. As a believers, you must recognize the need to control your tongue. Thirdly, to control your tongue, you must be quick to listen and slow to speak. Again, we're going to stay in James. Go back to James chapter 1. To control your tongue, you must be quick to listen and slow to speak. Look at verses 19. And 20. This you know my beloved brethren. But everyone must be quick to hear. Slow to speak. And slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Now we looked at this a bit last week. So we we don't have to cover all of it. But James applies it to two categories. Anger and speech. And so we need to go back to this to remind us. We must be slow to speak. Slow to speak. Now. Remember that in this context, James is talking about how we react to the word of God. That's the primary application here. So when people hear the word of God that convicts their sins, that, that steps on their toes, their proverbial toes. right? James is saying, listen, be quick to listen, slow to anger, don't reject it, don't put it off. Right? That, that's what he's saying. That's the primary application. Listen to the word of God. Take it in. But keep in mind, there's a secondary application that's talking about our general speech, right? As we interact with one another and particularly in conflicts, we must be quick to listen, slow, slow to speak. And generally, you and I are not born good listeners. I've heard people say, well, God gave us two ears, one mouth, so we we should listen twice as much as we speak. Good principle, I don't know if that's what God had in mind or not, because the scripture doesn't say, but it's a good principle. We must train ourselves to be good listeners. Have you noticed conversations, and sometimes people are talking all over each other, and then what happens in a conflict, right? At least what happens to me, I think it happens to you too. Like, if you're, if all you're thinking about is how to defend yourself, the other person's speaking, are you really listening? No. Generally, you're not, unless you're training yourself. You're just thinking about what you're going to say next, or how to defend yourself, or this or that. You're not actually listening to what they're saying. Right? That's sort of what happened with this with this uh, classroom conflict between the student and the teacher. Neither one was really listening to the other. Right? They were responding to things they they just thought they heard. Right? So we we must act differently. We we must respond differently. I mean, the, the student should have asked for clarification. The teacher should have asked for clarification. And, and even if that had happened, the scenario had gone, gone bad like it did. After, after the class, the teacher and student should have immediately sought out to resolve it. And if they couldn't resolve it themselves, immediately sought out some kind of mediator to, to help them with that. So it, they both stood on this. This anger thing went on a whole week before they resolved it and realized, oh, we were arguing over nothing. So they, they had real sin over an imaginary conflict. Right? So to don't let that happen. Now think about that. How do you, how do you apply this? Right? And you're, Sometimes our most severe conflicts are those that we love the most or the most intimate with. Because right? that's the, when we really let ourselves out. We know that they're going to stick with us, so to speak. Generally, that's true. And so you, you tend to let your real self show right so whether you're talking about you know, your brother or your sister you're sharper in your response to them than you would be anybody else right so you know with a homeschooling mom trying to instruct her her child that student is is really quick to give a sharp angry response back to their mom where they'd never do that or they generally wouldn't do that in school at least some of the teachers have seen that in school but but the point is you do it quicker with your mom or your dad than you would with a teacher at school. Right? So how do you apply this? When you, when you have those kind of conflicts or, the, or beginning disagreement, when, how, do you, how do you train yourself to be quick to listen, slow to speak? Right? When you feel that, that disagreement or the pressure or the anger swelling up within you, the hurt, maybe it was something hurtful was said, stop right there. Don't say a word especially with your spouse, hold their hand. Jack Hughes said that in the marital conference conference that we had years ago. Hold your spouse's hand. It's really hard to be angry with someone you're holding their hand. Don't squeeze it either like that, guys, okay? I'm not talking about that. (laughs) I'm talking about a gentle, loving touch, right? And then you pray together. Even if you're absolutely convinced that you're 100% right and your spouse is 100% wrong, you pray together, asking the Lord to guide you and help you not sin with your mouth. And if you do that, that gives you time to calm down and not say things that you should not say. Same thing with siblings. right? So these are the things that kind of drive parents crazy. Now, the sibling squats. Right. But if you want to follow Christ, if you are following Christ, no matter how old you are, instead of. Arguing and giving that little argument back and forth. Did you take this without asking? And, you know, there's all those kind of little, little squats that go on within a family. Right? As a brother, a sister, grab hands together right, and pray. Turn to God. Don't wait for your parents to come like force some resolution between you. Right? This is for you. Follow the Lord while you are young. Train yourself while you are young. It's easier to learn it while you're young than when you get older. And, and maybe you'll see that you, though you want to follow Christ, your heart really isn't converted. And you, do, you yourself need to call out to Christ and ask him for help to change your heart and help you to do what is right. So the Lord wants you to, to control your tongue. You know, Keep in mind, Proverbs 18, 13. He who responds with a word before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Right? You ever heard a person who's, who's answering your question that you're going to ask before you asked it, but it's the wrong answer because they assume the wrong question. So let's gain more information. Let's pause and, and, and really reflect upon how we need to respond. So again, when you and I feel uh, like that pressure rising when a conflict or a disagreement is beginning, we, we again, we tend to focus on what we want to say next. Don't do that. Restrain your mouth. Be a good listener. Pray to God for help. Remember, this listening is a demonstration of love for the other person. Just hold back your mouth and be a good listener. Gives you time to pray. Gives you time to ask God for help. Gives you time to reflect on what we're talking about. Because what you need to reflect upon is, how do I walk in the Spirit in this situation? How do I walk in love in this situation? how do I walk in humility in this situation? Just think through that. It's not about the other person at this stage because we want to think about how we want to correct that person, how much they're wrong. All of the messages at this point have been self-application. Walk in a spirit. Walk in love. Walk in humility. Control the anger. Now we're talking about controlling the tongue. So don't rush into it. Be slow to engage in that, in that conflict. A uh, 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 alertly assess your situation right now i recently took a handgun class and and for self-defense and one of the the key principles is you you need to do whatever you need to do to give yourself time time is your uh, is your friend when you're in a dangerous situation you think somebody is seeking to do harm to you you want to do everything you can to give yourself time to respond. You want to put time between you and the person seeking to do you harm so that you can think through carefully what needs to happen. What steps need to happen next? It's the same principle in a verbal conflict. You need to put time between you and sin. Right? Don't, look at, don't look at it necessarily as that other person is the enemy. The enemy is, is sin. That's what you want to avoid. You want time between you and, and sin and think think through that. So time is a is a is a friend. And remember that that when we speak, others are watching us. So you're giving testimony by how you speak to those believers around you and unbelievers around you. And and God wants you to speak in a way that demonstrates. That you are a transformed person. You're going to fail with your mouth. Because we all do. Only Christ hasn't. But it's how do you respond. And when you fail. Do you go seek forgiveness. Even if that person was like. Okay let's say 99% wrong. uh, They were wrong. And you were only like 1% in the wrong. But if you react sinfully. And say things you shouldn't. You're going to be the one. That needs to initiate forgiveness. And not just sitting back and waiting for the other person to do that. So to control your tongue, you must be quick to listen and slow to speak. Give yourself time to respond appropriately. Fifthly, to control your tongue, you must let no corrupting word out of your mouth. Here we want to go to Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Speech is just like a major theme in the scriptures. So there's just so many passages we could go to. Um, I know we're limited on time, but look at Ephesians 4. And I want to begin reading in verse, um, let's see here, verse really 24. We're talking about putting on the new self. Put on the new self, which, is in, the, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word. As is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So there's, again, a lot here. We just want to point out some highlights. Applying them to speech. First, we need to note these verses are, are part of a, of a context talking about a transformed person. A person with a new heart. A person who needs to put off the old man and put on the new man. The imagery that Paul is using is that of dressing. Right? You're taking off the old clothes of who you used to be. You're putting on the new clothes of who you are in Christ. That's the imagery. Put off, put on. Uh, we'll talk about it, let's see, it has the idea of repentance, right? To put off and put on. These verses give us some very practical examples of what repentance looks like. Remember what repentance is. Repentance is turning away from the sin. You could, you could describe repentance as a 180 degree turn. And we see very good examples of that here in this text. Paul uses a number of these put-off, put-on pairs in this particular uh, text that we're looking at today. So if you look at verse uh, 25, he says, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, that's the negative, that's the put-off, lay it aside. What does he say in verse 25? Speak truth, each one of you, to your neighbor. Right? So that's the put-on, that's the positive aspect. You put off falsehood, you put on truth right, in your speech. Um, and look at verse 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. That's the negative. That's to put off. What is the put on? But only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so it'll give grace to those who, who hear. So the whole section deals with what repentance looks like, what, what a transformed life looks like, right? telling us what not to do, but also telling us what to do. And that's important. When you're when you're talking about sanctification and transformation, it's not just stopping the bad stuff; it's starting the good stuff. If you don't start the good stuff, the good actions, the, then your bad actions are just going to take back over. You you can't. You, repentance is is a hundred and eighty degree turn. You're walking in one direction. You turn around. You realize your error and your mistake. You turn around and walk exact opposite direction. So when you're talking about repentance from sin no matter what it is try to think through what is the exact opposite of my sin right and go that direction now let's look at look at paul's words here a speech i point out lying and falsehood um and replace that with truth but then verse 29 we see let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth what does the word unwholesome mean right unwholesome means rotten like fish that's spoiled and and stinky Right. It's of such such poor quality that you cannot eat it, and if you do, it's going to make you desperately ill. It will do you great harm to eat it. That that's the imagery. These are words that cause harm, and, and this unwholesome speech refers to words that are harmful in a in a moral sense. It's not just harmful. These words are, are corrupting. They have a corrupting influence on you and, and those around you, those who hear them. And we can see the full damage of this unwholesome speech, this corrupting speech, because Paul puts it in contrast with what? Building up. So he's setting unwholesome words. That's the negative. And the positive is building up, giving, giving grace. So that means unwholesome are those things which tear people down. Right? It's destructive. It's destructive. Um, in, instead of using your words to tear someone down, we're called to build others up. And, and this word is this, the point here is so important. Look what Paul does uh, there in verse twenty nine. He says, "Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment." He could stop there, but he doesn't. So that when you see the word "so that," it's important. It's showing you a result or a purpose. Right here, I think he's showing you the result. The result is that it will give grace to those who hear. Right. Grace builds up this unwholesome speech, tears down. Right. God wants us to give grace with the words that we say. Right. Not spew out caustic acid that tears people down, but but give grace to them. Right. Um, Ask yourself this the next time you find yourself in a conflict. Ask yourself this, what can I say that will bring grace to the person that I'm having this disagreement with? What can I say to bring grace to that person? You're not going to want to bring grace to that person. Naturally, you're going to want to like go get them, especially if they say said something hurtful to you or did something hurtful to you. But but to follow Christ, ask yourself, what can I say? Right? As you restrain your tongue, as you're thinking about what to say, what can I say to give grace to this person or to those around me to hear? Right? And if you don't know what to, to, to say, then it's a time just to pray and be quiet, ask the Lord for wisdom and help. Right? It's better to say nothing than to sin with your mouth. Right? So control it. Now, in verse 30, Paul goes a little bit more, I'd say. He doesn't just give us the result. He's given us a warning. Look at verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Implying that if you use unwholesome words, you're doing what? You're grieving the Holy Spirit. It might feel good to your flesh, but you're grieving the Holy Spirit. And it's going to grieve your own spirit once you realize what you've done. You will regret what you have done. But, but Paul is saying your, your speech is so important. He's saying that your speech grieves the Holy Spirit, even though it's paid for in Christ. The Holy Spirit doesn't just look at that and say, well, that sin's okay because it's paid for in Christ. No, the Holy Spirit grieves over our sin because he lives within us. Think about that. And, And here's what the beauty of Paul does here. He lays this out. That could be a really heavy weight, couldn't it? To think that every sin that you have is like, grieving the Holy Spirit. Every foul thing that you said, grieve the Holy Spirit. But, but on one hand, he's, he's he's giving you an urging, motivation to pursue holiness with your mouth. And look what he does on the other hand. He's saying it's not of you. Look at it. Verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were what? Sealed. For what? For the day of redemption. Right? Redemption meaning that's the that's day of glorification. That's for the day when you no longer struggle with sin. That's complete victory. And that is guaranteed by Christ's death. And, and you've been given a down payment on God's guarantee. And the down payment of God's guarantee that he's going to complete what he has begun is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has sealed you. You are going to speak perfectly one day. God guarantees it. He's given your Holy Spirit. So I love what he does. On one hand, he's saying, don't get discouraged. You've got the victory in the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, continue to pursue holiness in your speech. Sometimes today, people get involved in what's called the hyper grace movement. They get preaching of on Christ forgiveness so much that they completely neglect all the scriptures calls to holiness. And and you can't do that. Look at what Paul does here. He's saying, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, but keep in mind, you're you're not sanctified by your own efforts. The Holy Spirit is at you work in you. He sealed you, and it's encouragement. You're not gonna fail, you're not gonna fall away, you're sealed. So fight the good fight, even when you're discouraged. You see what God is doing here. It's just simply simply amazing what He is doing. Sin runs completely opposite to the way that God wants us to go. And as a child of God, we have to train ourselves with the Lord's help to do what is right and speak what is right. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And notice he says here, he doesn't like accommodate and say, well, I know, I know you're human. And, and what, when people say that, when you're talking to them in evangelism, they mean is, uh, it, you know, my sin isn't that big of a deal. I was listening to Todd Friel talk to somebody on a a college campus and he was asking them if if they were a liar or if they had lied. And he's like, well, well, yeah, but that's human. Yes, it is human, but that doesn't make it right. Right? So don't excuse yourself in that. Look what he does here. He says, Paul says, verse 29, let a little unwholesome words out. Is that what he says? He says what? No, little word, N-O. Right? That means 0%. That's God's standard. That's a high standard. You and I can't meet it. Right? But we are to strive for that in the Lord's help. We're not to just say, give up, and say, oh, I'm human. I can't do that. Right? If you give up like that, that means the Holy Spirit doesn't live within you. Right? And, but that shouldn't cause you to despair. That, that's actually a clarifying thought. Because then you can call upon the name of the Lord and ask him to save you. And he will do that. He's promised to do that. He's not going to turn anyone away. We must honor the Lord with our mouths. And in verse, verses 31 and 32, Paul brings all this together in a way that's kind of, it's kind of messy. These words can't necessarily be, be uh, cleanly uh, defined. But he brings it all together. He says, "Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice." and And the um, the LSB there, the Legacy Standard Bible, instead of clamor, it says shouting. It defines it as shouting, okay? which bring, again brings out that idea of, of the speech. Here we have anger and bitterness and and the whole idea of, of bitterness and wrath and anger. These things mixed together with shouting and and slander. Uh, and he uses the word malice is where, uh, Malice there as well. These things are all the ugly things of the old man that we are just to simply put off. To put off. Now before we talk about the put on, I, I just want to try to get very practical here the, with the unwholesome words. No unwholesome words should come out of our mouths. First of all, that means eliminating all cutting words. Remember Galatians, the, the, the series or the Book of the, the title of the book that Alexander Strzok wrote is If You Bite and Devour One Another, which comes from Galatians 6. So we do most of our biting, biting of one another with what? Words. There are some actions, obviously. But we do most of that with words. So we must eliminate all types of cutting words uh, that we use against one another. That means eliminating bitter speech against one another. Something bitter is awful to eat. Bitter words are awful to hear. Bitter words are designed to cause pain and distress. And they are are characterized by sharpness and cruelty. So eliminate all bitter speech. Just know that God does not want you to speak any words that, that are bitter. Eliminate all slanderous speech. Slander seeks to damage another by spreading untrue, malicious words about one another. Slanders, speech, denigrates or defames, reviles and disrespects uh, to, to denigrate. is not a word that we use very frequently, but the Bible uses it. It means to ruin someone's reputation. Right? You're out to get them. You're out to ruin them completely. Right? We, we uh, another way to think about defame is to dishonor. Think about that, kids. Right? To defame. You might think, oh, I don't I don't do that. But but you often do with your parents and how you respond to your parents. Eliminate all slanderous speech. Thirdly, eliminate all malicious speech. Malicious speech is any word designed that really flows from hatred, oil, will, or wicked intentions. And these words, again, intermix. Sometimes in certain contexts, they are synonyms. In other cases, they carry slightly different uh, meanings. Again, depending on the context. But just put all these under a category of eliminate all cutting words. Don't say a single word to, to strike another person or to cut another person or to hurt another person. Secondly, eliminate all inflammatory speech. Eliminate all inflammatory speech. This is a form of false speech. It's, it's an ex, ex, use exaggeration to kind of get our point across. Inflammatory speech inflames or irritates. And, and I want to specifically refer this to something exaggerated in, in order to provoke anger or distract from the issue at hand or to win the argument sometimes people use exaggeration to show how truly bad someone is and how right they are of course so here's an example that alexander strocks uh gives in his book he says members of a particular church were involved in a bit of a music style war nothing that any church in america has ever seen right um They they simultaneously, again, not the same person, but various people. They simultaneously complained that the music was too fast, too slow, too old, too new, too loud, or too soft. Like that. One prominent older woman accused the song leader of playing rock and roll, prompting someone else to say that the church had become like a nightclub. Meanwhile, a young man complained that the music director chose funeral dirges that turned people off. None of these exaggerated inflammatory claims were true. None of of these statements are helpful to resolving the conflict. Uh, The church leaders sought to end the music war. But when people are using inflammatory language like this, accusing others of like, well, now we've turned the church into a nightclub. Right or you only sing funeral dirges. Right? Well, that's neither one of those statements is true. Neither one of them helps resolve the the uh, issue at hand. Alexander Strock says all such preposterous rhetoric is polarizing and frustrating to people who are trying to work toward a resolution. Right? And right now we live in a culture with a lot of exaggerated speech. Right? Whether you talking about a COVID whether you're talking about politics or you're talking about this, you're talking about that, there's, especially in politics, there's a lot of exaggerated speech. And it's very easy for us as a church to kind of think that that's normal and that's okay and we bring that in the church and we start, we start doing that. That's not okay. All that must be eliminated. Believers must speak the truth in love. We must speak truthfully without blatant lies or without shades of exaggeration. And this type of speech is an attempt really to manipulate someone else. You're manipulating the person you're you're speaking to so that they'll reject the other person that you're talking about. You're exaggerating. And, and I, in a sense, if you analyze what's going on in an argument sense, you're admitting, if you do this, you're admitting how weak your argument is. It's like character assassination. You're saying my argument is so weak, I have to exaggerate the claims or, or the, the you know the, the negatives of that person. I have to exaggerate them. In order to win my point. So it works in politics. It should not work in the church. We need to think about what's going on in our own hearts. So. And keep in mind. This goes on in marital conflicts too. Or sibling spats. Right. You engage in inflammatory speech. In a conflict. When you things like. You always. Or you never. Right. So when, I, when I'm counseling people and I hear those, I'm like, well, that's not true. The person might be a really lousy husband, but you can't say he's always a lousy husband. That's, that's certainly not true. So beware of these exaggerated statements that, that are just things that need to be eliminated. So eliminate all cutting words, all inflammatory words. Remember what what God says in proverbs twelve twenty two lying lips are an abomination to Yahweh, but doers of, right, doers of faithfulness are his delight. Lying lips are what an abomination That's a very strong term. To say God hates it. So we have nothing to do with falsehood, even these little shades of exaggeration. Thirdly, eliminate gossip. so eliminate all inflammatory speech, eliminate all cutting words, eliminate thirdly, eliminate gossip. Gossip is another form of unwholesome speech. Gossip is derogatory information about someone that is offered in a tone of confidentiality. So this is something derogatory that you wouldn't necessarily say right in front of their face. If you said it in front of their face, that would be called another sin. But this is this gossip is that one where you say behind their back and it's derogatory. Gossip, according to Second Corinthians 1220, is a work of the flesh. And it is very destructive to unity, right? whether it 's a husband gossiping about his wife pouring out all the the negative things to the guys at work, or whether it 's a a wife pouring out all the the gossip of how her husband has failed her to her her girlfriends, and they all sympathize with her. all of that is gossip, and it 's wrong d e host who i i wouldn 't know the name, and you probably don 't either, but he led China inland mission just after Hudson Taylor passed away. So Hudson Taylor founded China Inland Mission, and the host led that after him. So they these two had, men had a lot of experience dealing with missionaries in the mission field. And, and he noticed this about gossip's devastating impact upon the work of, of building the church. He says this, and I quote, Looking back over these 50 years, I really think that if I were asked to mention one thing which has done more harm and occasioned more sorrow and division in God's work than anything else, I would say tale bearing, which is another word for gossip. So he's saying if he had to pick one thing that's been more destructive been more destructive than anything else, it's gossip. And he's not talking about unbelievers, he's talking about about missionaries who are supposed to be mature and, and leading the way and And that that is not only true in the mission field, it's true in in home churches as well. So when someone comes to tell you a little piece of derogatory information about somebody else, respectfully shut that conversation down. And if you don't know exactly what they're going to say, you can always say, is this something I really need to know about this person? If you need to ask for advice, like you go to somebody who's wiser and you want to ask about advice on how to handle a certain situation, you can make it generic. Don't use a person's name. Don't use so much specifics that they know who you're talking about. But we must guard our hearts because the flesh flesh likes gossip. Isn't that, they're like dainty morsels. That's what the scriptures say. Right? Like those little, little really sweet chocolate bites that we really like to eat this time of year. This dark chocolate, I like dark chocolate. But that's what gossip is to our flesh, and we must reject that. That that is a type of speech that is unwholesome. It's hurtful, and we must eliminate it, eliminate it completely. Right? So if you if you shut down gossip, listening to it, then people will stop talking to you about it right? and you don't engage in that fourthly eliminate all angry speech and I don't have to say too much about this because it kind of flows with anger but when you're angry you often speak about it that's not always true but don't let yourself speak angrily and it means means uh, guarding your words but it's also think about this it's guarding your body language and we talked about the tongue because that's the primary instrument of our speech but we also do a lot of speaking with our body language and with our tone of voice, uh, you, it's kind of interesting with, with body language and tone of voice, I can turn uh, the same phrase on its head. I mean, it's exact opposite, right? So it, it, it's just kind of interesting how that works. I can, you know, if, if I see a little baby who's like just beginning to cry, um, I, I can say, oh, that's cute because little babies are, are cute. Even when they cry, when you're not the parent, right? When you're a grandparent, especially. But, you know, when it's the 10-year-old who's crying and throwing a fit because they're not getting in their way, and you say, oh, that's cute. What have I done? Same words, but I've turned the meaning completely around by body language and tone of voice. So guard not only what you say, the words, but, but how you say it. What are you expressing? Right? The Lord knows your heart. So if you're tempted, like, to raise your voice, An angry speech usually includes raising our voices, right? Right? So if you're tempted to raise your voice, like I am, when I'm angry, (laughs) um, ask God to help you to do the exact opposite. Lower your voice. It's really hard, right? I'll confess, it's hard. The Lord helps you. Intentionally lower your voice. It will help you. As a gentle answer turns away what? Wrath. Harsh anger stirs up anger. Okay? So if you're speaking angrily, that's probably what you're going to get back. But if you can temper that, it's the Lord's help, speak softly, honor him. Now, I'm at the point where I should wrap the sermon up, but I've only left you with the put-offs. So I haven't given you anything to put on. So let me cover that really quickly. Okay? So to control your tongue, you must use good words. It's not enough just to restrain these. Use good words. Go back to Ephesians, Ephesians four. Instead of falsehood, speak truth. Instead of unwholesome words, speak what is good for the building up for what is needed at that moment. So you'll give grace to those who hear. So train yourself to speak what is good for building others up. Like I like I said, you you, you ask the Lord to help you. Have words of grace. What can I say to give grace to that person? What can I say to build that person up? And this is true even if you're confronting sin or you have to deal with something, they've hurt you in some capacity. These things are still true. Speak to build up and to give grace. Your words can bring healing or they can bring death. Remember I mean, what we read before? Your words can bring life or death and how you use them. Right? Proverbs 16, 24 says, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. You want to speak words that are healing, not destructive. Now, building, speaking to build up um, does not always mean what you think it means. And what I mean by that is that the Old Testament prophets and people like John the Baptist, Jesus and Paul at times, the apostles, all use at times... Very blunt language and sometimes sarcastic language to confront people. They confronted them sternly, but always in love. Always in love. So there the you know what we're talking about holy speech, righteousness in your speech, doesn't mean there aren't times where there's not stern conversation or a confrontation. In fact, Titus in one thirteen says that, that elders um, must reprove severely uh, those they confront that they may be sound in the faith, so there are there are false teachers and there are those listening to the false teachers and and you could deal with the false teachers, putting them out of the church, and there are those who are listening to the false teachers and titus is uh, paul is telling titus to 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 warn the congregation, but if they don 't listen, rebuke them severely so that they might be sound in the faith so the the stern rebuke is is intended. To help them be sound in the faith, it's not designed to tear them down, or destroy them, or to mock them, or to make fun of them, right? or to sideline them. It's it's actually so that they would be sound in the faith. So you will see that. I don't have time to develop that fully, but but the idea is there that sometimes um, Paul does that. Sometimes John did that. We he, we read that uh, recently. You know, John John the Baptist uh, tells the the Pharisees coming to it to be baptized. He's like, "You brood of vipers, who warned you?" to flee from the wrath to come. That's, that's, that's harsh, but it's not sinful. Right? Because he, was, he had the Holy Spirit within him from, even before he was born. The Holy Spirit's revealing to him the hearts of the men coming to be baptized. He knows that they're not genuinely repentant of their sins. They're just doing this as an outward form. So John the Baptist had revelation that you and I don't have. And, and a lot of these rebukes you see in Scripture are, are from spiritual leaders to other spiritual leaders so they're I would say should be very rare in our lives they should not characterize our lives on a regular basis but but they are there so we are to speak to build up to give grace and and in fact look at the end there in verse thirty two Ephesians four thirty two, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So speak kindly, speak tender heartedly. You can say, speak with love. If you want to know what that looks like, open First Corinthians thirteen, go to verses four and seven, and and say, well, how can I speak in a patient way? How can I speak in a kind way? How can I speak in a non jealous way? How can I speak in a way that doesn't brag about myself? How can, I weigh, how can I speak in a way that's not puffed up or acting un, unbecomingly? How can I speak in a way that I don't seek my own? How can I speak in a way that's not provoked? How can I speak in a way that doesn't take into account a wrong suffered? How can I speak in a way that, where I rejoice um, in righteousness and in truth? How can I speak in a way that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things? There's so just a good way to kind of filter that through. Applying it to your speech, the tongue of the righteous is as choice silver; the heart of the wicked is worth little, as Proverbs ten twenty. and And continuing on in verse twenty one, the lips of the righteous feed many, but the but ignorant fools die for lack of a heart of wisdom. Proverbs fifteen twenty. The heart of the wise makes knowledge look good, but the mouth of fools pours, pours forth folly. If you're a genuine believer. Then, then God is in the process. He's put a new heart within you and he's, a, he's in the process of transforming you to be like Christ. And that includes your speech. He's transforming your speech. He will he will complete what he has begun. And with the help of the Lord, you can control your speech. You can put a bridle on that 2000-pound tongue that just wants to race forward and do its own thing. And with the Lord's help, you can radically change the disagreements and the conflicts that you have whether in your family or at work, or within the church. You can radically change it. And that doesn't mean you can resolve it. Sometimes the other person doesn't resolve it. So we really haven't talked about the other person and and what to do, what steps to take. We'll look at that in a future message. This is really about you examining your own heart, making sure that you're not sinning against, against the Lord. So in the midst of a conflict, you must control your tongue so that you glorify God instead of sinning against Him and that you're a blessing to those around you instead of being a curse to them. Remember where we started. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. I tell you that every careless word that you speak, you shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Very sobering. let's, Let's ask the Lord to help us walk in this truth. Oh, Lord God, we just thank you that you are slow to anger, abounding in love, abounding in loving kindness, steadfast love, so quick to forgive. Oh God, we just rejoice in Christ our Savior, that little child, Emmanuel, God with us, who grew to be a man, who used his mouth for the glory of God perfectly. Oh Jesus, help us to follow you Help us to follow you where that means confessing our sins. May you be quick to do so. And I just ask you to transform us. Use us, Lord God, as ambassadors of grace, as ambassadors of Christ, as mouthpieces of the gospel, and as, as object lessons of your grace and mercy. Lord, we rejoice in the fact that you have sealed us with the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen.